From Equality Arizona, you're listening to the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm Gene Woodbury. I'm the Interim Executive Director of Equality Arizona and the host of this podcast. And today, I want to wish you all a very happy holiday season. Tonight, December 14th, we'll be hosting our Holiday Bash and celebrating 30 years advocating for LGBTQ rights in Arizona. This is my last chance to invite anyone to the party, and I'd really love to see as many of you there as possible. For all of the specifics, you can find more information on our events calendar online, equalityarizona.org events. When this episode airs, I'll be on a plane flying home from Washington, D.C., where I was invited to attend the signing of the Respect for Marriage Act in a ceremony at the White House. It's a tremendous moment for civil rights, and it's taken a fight longer than I've been alive to get us here. Going to the White House as a queer person, a place I had only ever seen before through a fence, I chose to keep in my mind the image of the Ashes Action of 1992 the year our organization was founded. It's important to me to remember that debt that we owe to the past and the debt we owe to the community around us. I have like so much love for the queer community and it's difficult to imagine who or or where I would be without that context. And I think that's the perfect introduction for today's guest on the podcast, my dear friend, Tate Peake. I know I've mentioned this before, but Tate and I met on the day I started Hormones, and it's this magical moment of serendipity that almost fades away to meaninglessness when you look at the whole history of our friendship. But I just can't really imagine what anything about my life would be if Tate hadn't been there for it, right? So... You can imagine how complicated it was trying to figure out how to record a normal interview with them. And so we did two. I talked to them and forgot to ask them questions. And then we did a second interview and I asked them more normal questions. And then I edited all that together into this And I I let us break the fourth wall a few times to show those edits, but overall, I think it comes together pretty nicely, and I don't think Tate will ever listen to it, but if they do, I hope they agree. All that being said, it's still a pretty long one, so let's roll the tape. is Tate Peak. I use they them pronouns if that's important. I'm a graphic designer and photographer and I'm trans and I'm pretty cool. So should I redo that? Yeah. Okay. Should I say I'm pretty cool though? Yeah. Okay. So my name is Tate Peak. I'm a trans graphic designer and photographer. I use they them pronouns and I'm pretty cool. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So, just actually pretty recently, you've been able to 
set up a career as a freelance graphic designer and photographer. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the kind of work you do and tell me a little bit about how you got into the work that you're doing. All right. So the kind of work I do uh, right now, mostly work for Equality Arizona. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do all the photos for the show art on this. For the show art on this, I take event photos, uh, help with, lots of other things it's a big list and there's no point in me like listing every single thing right but uh, if anyone of wants to see that work focused, it's in my portfolio uh, yeah oh so your portfolio <laughs> yeah. is um you have a website i do this is tapepeak.com great URL. it exists uh it's also my handle on everything without the dot com obviously that wouldn't <laughs> actually it would be quite funny but twitter doesn't allow uh periods you'd have to spell out the word dot yeah. And, and then that just, would get confusing. Yeah. And there's no point in doing that. Uh, so this is Tate Peak or this is com or Tate at this is com for email. We also did some comms related creative work together before Equality Arizona. Yes. With uh, White Paws, mm-hmm. White People Against White Supremacy. I made them a style guide that I have learned isn't as good. I've learned a lot of things since then, since doing the work I did there on and off and then at Mutual Aid Phoenix and just generally throughout college and in high school. I started doing graphic design in high school as a small child around the same time I got into Doctor Who (laughs) and started being a vegetarian. There were a lot of things that happened all at once and graphic design was some of them. I took a graphic design class. Uh, My teacher was... You know, at every high school, there's, like, a weird teacher. There's, like, the weird guy, you know? They, like, well, you don't know, but... I, I mean, I don't know you can these speculate. things, but I've watched, like, <laughs> movies and TV shows that include high schools. Yes. So, like, Giles in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. So, kind of like that, except more like if, if Sean or Gus from, from, Psych, from Psych was a teacher at a high school and pretty much everything else about them was the same um, okay. either of them so like yeah. mr narducci was my my high school graphic design teacher and he wore he would do something fun for his like yearbook photo every year so he oh, wore like fun. four polo shirts at the same time all with the, <laughs> with the collars popped yeah um <laughs> and these like ridiculous glasses i think he takes his own photo and then mm. sends it to the company that did the yearbooks and, like, had them put it in. It was a... Anyway, he was really fun and made graphic design class fun, though really different parts of graphic design than anything I do now, which is interesting. So we made, like... I mean, he talked to us about uh, movie posters and stuff, which isn't... Oh, um, yeah. I don't do that level of, like, photo editing and retouching and right. stuff. It's not... It's a lot. And it's not really where I am interested in design. Yeah. But then graduated from high school. Didn't do any more art after that, really, for a long time. And then I went to ASU and I had like 12 majors. Yeah. When you started at ASU, it wasn't graphic design. It wasn't photography. No, it was medicinal biochemistry. Yeah. And then I switched my major after that. Well, actually, that's not even true. I graduated a year early from high school. And so... I was going to start college early, but then I broke my neck. 
and so I couldn't go to college right away. But when I first registered for ASU, I actually registered to major in industrial organizational psychology. And then I switched to medicinal biochemistry before my actual orientation. And then I switched to psychology. And then I switched to human systems engineering. And then I switched to graphic information technology. And then I was either going to do graphic design or photography but graphic design would have taken longer and I was going to run out of my scholarship. And so I decided to do photography instead, which I do love. Um, But I do graphic design now mostly because there isn't a lot of money in photography unless you're going to do like weddings, which... That's not what you did. When you were a photography major, you were doing something... Actually, when I think about like the the biochemistry degree... Yeah, the stuff that... It's a very chemistry-focused photography. I love film. I love alternative processes. Mm-hmm. I love putting chemicals on paper and seeing what they do. Right. You did a lot of work that I think people wouldn't automatically think of when they think of you're an artist who takes photos. Yeah. That almost no one actually thinks of when you say that to someone. Every time I tell someone I'm a photographer, they're like, well, what kind of photography do you do? And I'm like, uh, not the thing that you're going to say you do in about five minutes uh, because you're going to say, well, you know, I'm a little into photography and then someone's going to say something about like astrophotography and someone's going to say something sure. about, um, which are fine things, well, but just totally different than what I do. Completely different. Um, Some of the stuff what you I like do, do doesn't involve cameras. Yeah. A lot of the stuff I did didn't, well, my, my, one of my major projects didn't. Yeah. And actually a few of them, I put cyanotypes yeah. on ceramics that didn't require any cameras most alternative processes don't necessarily require a camera, but you can use. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, that's the I, kind of stuff I wish I could be doing still, but it's yeah. incredibly expensive to set up at your own home. And uh, then you right. have to like market yourself in a whole different way. And um, it's the pandemic and people are always short for cash. They're not really buying art in the same way as um, ever. Yeah. Uh, and most people want to buy digital things. They don't actually like physical copies of things these days. You know, NFTs. <laughs> well, and, you know, the stuff that you're making is really inherently physical. I yeah, think. People and, could, and unique. People could buy a print, but a lot of it is about the actual chemical reactions of mm-hmm. of the paper and the light and everything. So Yeah, and there's always a question of, like, well, if I make this, like, one-of-a-kind thing, because most of these things are totally one-of-a-kind that I right. that I made. If I digitize it and then I print it again, because it's the only way to reproduce it, like, should I even? That's that's a, a conversation I've had in my head a million times. Oh, yeah. Of like, does it ruin the specialness of this thing to digitize it and then reprint it on an inkjet printer? Yeah. Is that, like, sacrilegious or something to the medium? Well, I'm thinking about the Labor of Being Transgender project Mm -hmm. that you did. And part of the actual creative process was scanning the lumen prints. That's true. And then turning those into print prints from a printer. Print prints from a printer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's proper terminology. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I sat next to you in a lab sometimes. Yeah, where I was making those print prints from a printer. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. So... I'm totally qualified to have a technical conversation about this. Absolutely. I think that was a really good project to bring up as an example of the kind of work that you do. Mm -hmm. 
that's very far afield from what a lot of people would think of when they think of photography as like pointing the camera at something and taking a picture of it. Yeah. They're lumen prints mostly was that project, which is you take photographic paper and then what I did is I put stuff on it and put then stuff like flowers and used injection needles from hormones and used injection vials from hormones and other sharp things and leaves and vegetables and fruit, grains, spices, eggs, my body parts, all of it. Anything you could think of, I tried to put it on top of there. And it, it turns these like beautiful like pink and yellow and purpley colors that are just so gorgeous. Um, and it's like an inverse thing. So everything that isn't covered by an object or whatever is on top of the paper is turns those colors and then mm-hmm. there's like white spaces so they look really delicate and um, yeah. and special and they were they were a lot of fun to make and then you turned that into a project about the emotional labor of being transgender yeah yeah and i think that that's um i mean i got to write a few letters to like 10 you wrote like 10 i did write a lot of letters <laughs> to submit to that anonymously and you got other people mm-hmm. to write in letters anonymously even people you didn't know mm-hmm. just from the internet and i think when it all came together it was a really really moving project this is something that i think you started pretty early in terms of really transitioning on some oh, levels yeah. yeah yeah i pretty much started that project like the semester after i started transitioning yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. I didn't change my name until after that project was over, pretty much. Oh, right. Uh, and, and all of that. Um, yeah. So. So I've been thinking about how to interview you. Mm-hmm. I'm, tr- I'm aware. I'm trying to have a real. I know. No, I'm yeah. aware. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about it. And I feel like since you just started testosterone again, mm-hmm. we could use that as like an entry point. It's been like three days. Right. But there's a decision factor behind it. And um, I could talk about how weird gel is. Just rubbing (laughs) weird gel all over my shoulders. (laughs) It's strange. It smells like rubbing alcohol. So that's fun. It's a fun little, it's a little gritty. A little gritty? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know why, but it is. What was the decision behind gel? Just you don't like doing the injections? I didn't mind the injections, but they were. It feels like like a buildup to like a little thing. Oh and right. Then you had to like make sure you buy the needles, and you gotta like disinfect the vial, and you gotta disinfect your leg, and blah 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 blah. And then I have to remember to do it one day a week, and that was a lot of work. If I don't do something every day, it's harder for me to remember, and then yeah. I would just put it off. Well, and there's a big cognitive load. To starting the task mm-hmm. and remembering to do the task, which I think probably, I mean, well, do you think that the first time you were on testosterone, that that challenge of just the routine of it was part of why you stopped uh, back then? No, the biggest reason I stopped was because I was covered in acne. So right. Okay. It was yeah. terrible and it was painful and it was super uncomfortable, but I have come to the conclusion that estrogen apparently is the only thing that stops my acne um, because now that I don't have hormonal birth control in my body, it's just, it's just back and better than ever apparently. <laughs> so it doesn't matter anymore. Well, the acne part of things, 
Um, it's not like as big of a factor. I'm just hoping it doesn't get really bad. But the testosterone as the gel is also nice because I just do it with my meds in the morning. So with all of the many other medications I take every uh-huh. day, yeah, I get to just put it as part of my routine. And then I just try not to accidentally further masculinize my, my little boy cat. <laughs> That's going to sound really bad <laughs> out of context. Should I restate it as I get to do it in the morning when I take the rest of my medication and the only thing I actually have to remember to do now is to wash my hands afterwards so I don't get testosterone on my cat. I, I, it's it's important. Um, He's already like a little asshole every day and I don't need him like having weird hormonal fluctuations adding <laughs> to the problems. It would be, I can't even imagine how much worse it would be. Well, so I was thinking about um, just the other day when I was taking my my hormones in the morning, along with all my other medications. I have my little routine. Here's the three things I take in the morning. Here's the three things I take at night. And thinking about the fact that I'm going to be doing that for the rest of my life. Oh, yeah. Um, Forever. With all of them, really. I mean, there's a chance I could change some of my psych meds. There's a chance the kinds of hormones or dosage of hormones I take could change. But I legitimately have to take all of these and will have to take all of these Mm -hmm. forever. And I was thinking about how transition gets medicalized on some level or being trans gets medicalized because obviously there's just medical transition, but then trans identity gets medicalized and thinking about, okay, well, I have my psych meds, which make my brain function and Mm -hmm. I have my hormone medication which I think some people might think of as something that's like treating the condition of being trans or treating gender dysphoria. I mean, like from like an insurance code standpoint, yeah. that is what it is. And, it's, and that is what a lot of people view it as, um, right? especially people who are not trans um, more often. I know I have to have that conversation with my mom regularly. Yeah. How, how often do you have conversations with people about hormones? Like where do people come from with those questions or or just that curiosity uh normally i would say it's just people who like say i start a new job or something my coworkers, Uh, if they feel like we have gotten to a point where they can ask those questions we'll just ask (laughs) questions uh so it doesn't happen very often now because i work from home and don't leave my house, and don't interact with a lot of people outside of you. But uh, outside of that, <laughs> when I was working at like the Opportunity Tree and stuff... Um, What's the Opportunity Tree for context? The Opportunity Tree is a local nonprofit that is um, dedicated to working with adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Um, so I worked there as a digital studio assistant doing graphic design stuff and teaching members with disabilities how to do graphic design but they do a lot of other stuff too they have a lot of housing and day programs and there's even a youth program as well so it's not just adults um it's yeah scattered across the state but when i was working there my coworkers, um those who don't know queer people already who don't know trans people specifically would have questions and the members had questions too well a lot of them just didn't think about it but then the people who who would actually like put thought into it and, and could communicate verbally really well. Yeah. Um, they would, they would ask me questions as well. And it was mostly stuff like, uh, like why did you decide to transition? 
you know, they ask questions that like go along the lines with like the whole wrong body narrative that people love to perpetuate for some reason. <laughs> uh, and then I would just tell them, no, I just, I didn't think I wanted to do this. And then, and then someone I knew was doing it and I got jealous and decided to also do it with the encouragement of my friends. And then I figured out I actually really enjoy being the person I am now. And that was it. Yeah. It was the whole thing. And those people are, mo- half of those people that were encouraging me were our gene for <laughs> listeners, by the way. <laughs> right. I'm, uh, gotta be careful about that. I think, you know, there's the whole like social contagion idea and stuff like that. And, you know, here I am, I'm like a public transfigure and mm-hmm. I'm pushing hormones on people, but that's not the case. I mean, I think the way you talked about it is interesting because you were saying, I knew someone who was getting started on testosterone. I thought, Hey, this is interesting. I had friends who said, yes, that's a perfectly normal thing to do. And then you tried it, I think, with sort of a mentality of, I'm going to try this. Mm-hmm. Not a mentality of like, oh, this is what I must do. Yeah. But just, I'm going to try this. And then you found out that you liked it. And I think that that's something that gets brushed over because, you know, on the one hand, when we have to defend our right to even get hormones, we don't want to always construe it as like oh it's a thing that i can do instead of a thing that i have to do or i'll die yeah right and like i would have been fine probably having not transitioned i mean i don't know about fine but you know it would have been okay i guess but at the time especially and when i had tried to transition a couple years before that uh and was told no because i didn't fit the narrative I had to get all the letters and stuff. And I was like, well, that's never going to happen because I don't have the narrative that they want me to have. It's just not a thing. And uh, there wasn't any information out there on like, or not a lot of information. It took a lot of searching to find anything about like gender euphoria versus gender dysphoria. Like I don't experience a ton of gender dysphoria. Roundabout when was this? The first time? Both. So the first time was... uh, 2016 the first time was around 2016 around the same time i started photography a little bit before that i think that was 20 2015 or 2016 i don't know so but around that around that time yes it was because trump was elected that year and that was that was the year i was also looking into things i do yes okay so so 2016 and that's the same for me i remember back in around 2015 and then into 2016 was when i started looking for information about hormones and places to get on hormones. And I really did have trouble finding anything that would talk about it outside of like, well, here's the extremely medicalized and gate kept way that you Mm -hmm. can get in. And none of these doctors are actually still providing services. It was really difficult for me to find resources at the time. Yeah. Like impossible. There was just nothing out there. I remember helping friends also trying to find resources to transition. We just couldn't find anything. There was nothing out there. The closest par- Planned Parenthood that did um, HRT at the time was all the way in California, yep. right? And then finding any other doctor that would do informed consent was next to non-existent. And then even again in, what year was that? 2018. 2018. It was still pretty hard to find. Or no, no, 2019. Oh, was it 2019? Yeah. That was the year I graduated. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It would yeah. have been 2019. So again, in 2019, it was still actually kind of hard to find stuff. I had to go to, to the Southwest Center, and we made an appointment with a doctor, 
and that doctor told me he wouldn't do it. And but then he was like, "Well, I have a coworker." Well, and to be clear, <laughs> this doctor wasn't at the Southwest Center. No, no, we no, got no. it was at Adelante Healthcare in Mesa yeah. um, because I my insurance didn't take the Southwest Center. And so at all Adelante Healthcare, the first doctor I saw was like, "No, we're not gonna." I can't, I don't feel comfortable doing this without like letters and stuff. But then for some reason, he's like, but you know what? I have a coworker who would probably do this for you. And I'm like, why, why would you just refer me when you, but why can't you just do it yourself? Yeah. There's like a weird hesitancy around doing trans care. And then you end up with someone who actually is still also just figuring it Mm -hmm. out. I know that. So we see the same NP for, yep. for hormones. And she works with a lot of trans clients now. And I think at the time she had some other trans patients, but yeah, a few maybe. It's definitely something where it's not like we found someone who was an expert. An expert, no, right? Like she absolutely was like, yeah, so I've never prescribed hormones to anyone who's like non binary. Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to play this by ear and we're going to figure it out together. Yeah. And I was like, all right, let's have fun, I guess. Uh, but she's so chill. So it actually works out perfect. And now she knows so much, like just between right. then and now I saw her, you know, just a, a week or two ago and like her knowledge has grown an incredible amount. Um, right. Just from seeing. Well, I mean, even so at the very often. beginning, she was very clearly just deeply committed to learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, challenging as a non-binary person who really doesn't fit into any kind of established narrative doesn't even come from a standpoint of extreme gender dysphoria Mm -mm. or at least not the stereotypical gender dysphoria like i think i definitely had dysphoria absolutely but it didn't present itself in the ways that everyone talks about having dysphoria yeah that was that was an interesting thing well i think it's probably good to parse out when you say like how everyone talks about dysphoria before maybe 2015, 2016, when you started to think about getting on hormones, where were you seeing people talk about hormone therapy and, and trans identities and dysphoria and all of those experiences? In my friend circles. So, so people was, you actually knew. Yeah. So I was dating a trans woman at the time and she had, has probably, or had, I don't know, um, really intense dysphoria uh, that I never experienced, like. She was very fixated on, like, ways that her certain body, or, like, certain parts of her body, like, didn't look the way she wanted them to. Honestly, it was also definitely body dysmorphia and dysphoria. So there's, there's a lot of things at the same time. Um, but they were really intense feelings that she was having. And, and I didn't have anything like that. And I didn't have any of the same feelings that other people I knew as well. Like, I had a lot of queer friends at the time, a lot of trans friends. and. Mm-hmm. It was, I just didn't feel all the same ways. Um, though I also didn't know that many trans mask people um, at the time. Yeah. And the couple people I did know, I just actually never talked about it with. Because I was just like, well, I'm obviously n- not trans. So clearly I don't need to ask about <laughs> it. Duh. Well, I think then that's pretty interesting looking ahead to when you did get started on hormones a few years later, you had someone who was having an experience that you could identify with a little bit more closely Mm -hmm. on on some of those levels. And then that was a meaningful way to get over the hump. 
Yeah, and it's not like I wasn't doing other things before hormones. Like, I was wearing a binder. I was I was doing other stuff. I had a more masculine haircut. Those were steps that I did take. Yeah. Hormones were just kind of like, is this a step that I, I feel better now than I did before already? Do I need to take hormones as well? Do yeah. I want to? Like, what is what is that going to change for me? Will that give me... Uh, will that give me more satisfaction than what I already have? And it did. And so that was good. Um, I would like less acne. I would like to be less hairy. But otherwise, great experience. 10 out of 10. I would recommend it. Uh, <laughs> well, talk about science that, you just know. has to, like, get a little further there. I think, you know, that's a, that's a joke we like to make. 10 out of 10 would recommend. But I think that's actually a thing that you do recommend on some level is that attitude of, let me try this out and figure out if this is going to give me things I want or not. Yeah. As opposed to an all or nothing. Am I trans and therefore can grant myself access to every single aspect of transition? Or am I secretly not trans enough on some level and therefore unworthy of even cutting my hair? Exactly. And and knowing that, like, you can stop hormones. Like, I don't know if we actually said it at the beginning, like, how long I haven't been on hormones, but I haven't been on hormones for about two years now. Right. Like, um, I think it has been two years or something. It I'm has, about two sure. years, yeah. And I was fine with that for a while, and then I decided I wasn't fine with it anymore, and I wanted to go back. And here I am now. Will my voice change again? I don't know. It'd be kind of cool if it did, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how long you stay on it, but... That's true. I guess, like, sometimes I watch TV shows with, like, old men. And then if you watch something with them in it when they were younger, you can tell that their voice has still masculinized further. Like, it's gotten deeper and more gravelly as they've gotten old. Yeah. And I think that's a that's a fun thing to think about. Testosterone is wild. You know, as the host of a podcast... And interviewing, you know, talking about, like, voice change and everything like that. I think it's really fun to think about gendered voices because, you know, everyone listening to this, all they have is our our voices Mm -hmm. right now. You take great photos of all the guests. But, uh, you know, once you're listening to the podcast, you're washing dishes, you're driving your car. I feel like we were both going to say something there. Yeah. But I think what you, you're saying is like people don't know necessarily what we look like, right? And so they only have our voices and they're just going to assume what they assume based on our voices. Yeah. Um, and those assumptions are something that both of us have to navigate in a lot of contexts, right? What oh, are the yeah. different things people get to latch on to in the two seconds before they decide who we are? You know, if we're on a Zoom call and all they can see is us from the shoulders up, if mm-hmm. we're on a podcast and all they have is our voice yeah and so that's an experience you had working at a call center yes it was it was an adventure it was it was it was something not my favorite thing uh but everyone thought i was a woman every like almost every customer that called and thought i was a woman they all thought my name was kate which was fun um because it sounds close enough, and so you just you just run with it. That's what people do. And the interactions are so short, there's no time to correct anyone. There's no reason to correct anyone. And yeah. so you just live with it. Well, as trans people with one-syllable names, which I've found is some kind of a, a trend, when I say my name, you know, ordering coffee, it's a one-syllable name. It starts with a J. Mm-hmm. It, it'll become any name 
that someone has decided they've heard. Yep. And I, I think that same thing plays out with our genders in general, right? We're presenting a lot of information that other queer people can read and that a lot of people who aren't even trans just aren't going to pick up on. Yeah. And they fill in the blanks on some level, uh, sometimes in really just complete non sequitur ways. Yeah, it doesn't always make sense. I, I always want to know what people are thinking. Like I wanna I wanna I wanna see the the little map they draw in their heads to like get to the end point where they pick whatever they decide to gender one of us as. I wanna I wanna <laughs> know what that route is because it I I cannot understand. Like actually I get it with most people to some extent, but then I'm like, why though? Why is that the route you picked? And it varies with each person. Or when people change their minds halfway through, uh, when they've decided to gender you one way, and then they look at you one more time, and they're like, wait a minute, I got that wrong. <laughs> and it's, I want to know what makes them change their mind. Right. Uh, that's, that's an interesting It's also hard thing. to know. Well, so for me, it's not just, I don't want to say that this is just something that like straight cis people are doing, because I think it's kind of, it, well, it's just inaccurate to my experience to say that. The world is divided into people who get it and people who don't get it. No, plenty of people don't get it. Plenty of people don't get it. And that includes trans people. That includes queer people of all stripes. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with that? What do you run into along those lines? I mean, pretty much all the things, like anything you can imagine, probably all of it. It's hard to like put into words because it's really just like, well, most of the time now everyone thinks I'm a woman. So that's that's just a thing. Um, so I don't, I don't get gendered in a variety of ways anymore. And so that's, that's part of it, but mostly queer people can tell, but most of the time, so I use they, them pronouns and that's, that's where it gets interesting because people never assume that to start for the most part. And so a lot of the time, if it's a queer person, they'll pick up on certain things and they'll assume he instead of they, um, which I guess they're, they're close. Everyone's, but everyone's close. Like I'm non-binary. Everyone's getting <laughs> something a little bit right, but they're always getting it wrong. I don't. Yeah. There's really no. Do you feel like no there's right a way. way that people will they them you that is also getting it a little bit wrong? Because I've waffled on this. I've said, you know, I, I really feel like they them pronouns would be nice, or no, I only want she her pronouns. And sometimes it feels like if people use she, they're gendering me wrong. If people use they. They're gendering me wrong. If people use he, that's not anything I ever want. Right. The point is they can all feel wrong coming in certain contexts. I don't get veiled very often from people I don't know. And Uh, then people I do know don't have to they them me because they just use my name or they're (laughs) talking directly to me. So it's irrelevant. Um, My pronouns don't tend to come up in a lot of conversations. And so I'm not sure if there's a situation where being called they has felt wrong i feel like maybe it would it feels fine when i ask people to do it and they do it because it's like cool you're respecting me you're doing the thing i asked you to do yeah it almost never happens where someone will gender me as they without me asking i see yeah and then if they do i don't actually notice so i guess in that way it feels right because i can't i don't actually pay attention I'll only notice when they pick he or she because I'm paying attention. I'm like watching for it. But otherwise, I don't think I'd actually realize. And sometimes even when they use he or she, I wouldn't notice because I don't actually care. 
it, if it's not going to be like a long-term interaction, it doesn't matter how someone genders me um, in that moment. So I try not to think about it when I can. It doesn't matter on what level. Like what are the some of the choices that you're making when people are gendering you in terms of how you want to handle that? Uh, well, a lot of the time it's just a really short interaction. So it doesn't matter in terms of like, this is never going to affect my life again. It will never be relevant to my existence if I correct this person in this moment. And if anything, it can be more dangerous for me to correct a person in a moment, um, especially in like a public situation at the grocery store, um, at a job interview, right? Those things can, yeah. can be problematic um, for me. Or sometimes it's like, a lot of the members at my old job would gender me incorrectly, but it would be a very long conversation to get that to stop. And then they would forget the next day and I'd have to do it again. Right. And like in those situations it also like how they gender me has, it's just words they're using. They get pronouns mixed up all the time with everyone. Um, and so it's not, relevant for me to to fix that because and it seems like the choice you're making in those or the choices you were making in those situations were about for their sake Mm -hmm. sharing things about you to help them understand you not for your sake to get them to use the right pronouns exactly and and that's how that's how it would be with anyone like if i correct someone at the grocery store it's not for me i'm not going to talk to this person again it would be to make it so that the next person who looks like me that goes through that person's line gets gendered correctly so it's maybe not a traumatic experience for them because it is for a lot of people right but for me i don't care i just it'd be nice it'd be so nice but so you you care on that level yeah but not on the level where where i want to put in the labor yeah to do it for myself because It's only worth it if it's someone I'm going to be talking to for a long time. Yeah. Or like someone who's an important part of my life. If it's a coworker, yeah, they need to get it right. They work with me. Especially if it's a boss, they have to get it right. There's no other option there. Right. Um, if it's, I can't think of a lot of other people who I feel like it's really important that they get it right. My parents, they don't get it right. But have you talked with your parents about going back on testosterone? I don't even think they know I'm not on it. I can't even remember if they... Oh, I don't that tell just them hasn't things. been a, an ongoing conversation no. either, one way or the other? No. Okay. Like, I didn't even tell them that I was getting surgery when I got top surgery. Like, it wasn't until it came up, well, because it was around the holidays. So I told them, but mostly to be like, I'm getting surgery and I can't see you. And we're in the middle of a pandemic. Sorry. This was back in 2020, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was, it was it the first year of the pandemic. Yeah. So still real restrictions. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go into the surgery center no. to see you. No, no one could. I had to just sit there in the yeah. waiting room. I just got dropped off and then I got picked up and, and that was it. It was fine though. I mean, it would have been boring anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and no one needed to watch Turtle Tub draw on my boobs. Like that, <laughs> that's not an experience everyone needs to see. So no. I'm going to cut that. But it is what happens. Like, I didn't know it was going to happen. That was the wild part. No one told me. You'd think I would have figured it out because it's like a thing people, it's like on TV shows when they do plastic surgery, they like draw on the face and stuff. And I didn't, I didn't realize that was part of the surgery process. So we've talked about 
decisions around accessing care and transitioning in different ways and the three different times you've tried to start hormones Mm -hmm. two times successfully and how even just between you know kind of two three year gaps how things have changed so much the level of competency of medical professionals Mm -hmm. I think even just perceptions culturally around why people start hormones or what people might use hormones for as as part of their transition. So I think I'm curious with your experience, you didn't feel six years ago, like people were writing about the kind of experience you had and that really held you back in, in some real ways. Yeah. Where do you see that conversation now around You mentioned gender euphoria, but all of the things that you had to work through to allow yourself to do the kinds of things you wanted to do, where do you see that now in sort of the the public discourse? I think in like trans, more trans spaces, it's way more common, like so much more common. I wasn't in a lot of like online trans spaces before really, but um, they were hard to find in the first place and then it was still full of a lot of that language um and now i think things like my experience are far more common um to to read about even on like reddit on the trans subreddits ftm and mtf and non-binary and all of them there's so many there's there's so many um trans trans is just a subreddit right i don't know or is it transgender i don't Um, know i have no idea yeah but the point is those conversations are happening way more often on those platforms. In terms of the general public outside of queer spaces, I still think it's pretty uncommon, but it's comparable to, like, for a long time, with as with any kind of marginalized identity and societal change, people trying to get, you know, more rights and more awareness and, and et cetera, et cetera, like even in the black community, a lot of things are still really focused on like, this is all the trauma that black people go through. But now the conversation has shifted more and more often to be like, but hey, like, have you heard of black joy? And I think that's starting to happen in the trans community too. Is like, it's not just like, look at all the hard things that trans people have to go through every day. It's also like, look at how much fun trans people have being trans. Yeah. Um, And how much fun gender is, to play with instead of gender is sad to experience or whatever. Yeah. Um, I I think that's actually a really big shift because a lot of the time I think that gets emphasized. Here's all the pain and suffering of the trans experience because that's what we have to use to justify our access to any medical mm -hmm. care. Because for a lot of people, the way they think of trans care is, well, I don't know that I think that's a great thing, but it seems like you need it enough. And so, okay, I guess, I guess I'll tolerate it or I'll I'll be fine with it. Or I'll even be very supportive of it in a really kind of pity driven way. Mm -hmm. And that's shifted, I think, among allies. Significantly. And then there's just more people that have these experiences because they are more accessible and they're able to, to write about them. So when I first, when I started hormones in 2019, I guess, right. Mm-hmm. I found like one blog, like one blog, maybe like a couple Reddit posts that were like, what about, what if I like, didn't 
do like all the testosterone? What if I did like a little bit of testosterone and I just kind of like, I kind of spaced it out over time. What this if I did low dose tea? Yeah. Um, and there was, there just was really minimal information on it. And there wasn't a lot of conversation about like, well, what if I don't want to be a man and I don't want to do all of these like man things that people think trans men are supposed to do. I don't want to like, do something a little a little different than that uh i don't um, it's different for everyone but like right right those those conversations weren't happening um and now they're everywhere yeah uh there's like whole subreddits dedicated to it there's like medium articles there's yeah tumblr blogs uh, it's everywhere all of it i sometimes think about the work trans people do like creative work, I mean, or mm-hmm. sometimes professional work um, early in transition compared to what then we do even like two years Yeah, later. it's super different. It's really different. Um, tell me about that. Like, talk to me about that. I, I think I, I don't want to speak for you. Well, I, it's... It's a hard conversation because I don't, I don't make stuff in the same way now. That's so true, yeah. I... I it's not that different because I'm not, well, it's super different because I'm not doing it. And I don't think, I think even if I was still making that kind of work, like working it within fine art photography and an alternative process and, and stuff, uh, I think I would still make stuff around transness as a concept, but it would be a really different thing. It would be focused on completely different parts of the trans experience that people don't talk about or neurodiversity is a thing I think I would I would probably make yeah. something about if I could figure out how to do that. I was talking with another guest on the podcast, Vanessa. Mm. She mentioned her own neurodiversity and then afterwards off mic we were talking about how this is something the two of us, you know, Vanessa and I talk about all the time with people is this overlap of people who are disabled and queer, mm-hmm. neurodiverse that is somehow completely unrecognized at like a broader cultural level. It's not a real conversation that's happening except among the people who are in it. Right. And then we talk about it all the time. Oh, constantly. Yeah, constantly. So if you were to make art about aspects of the trans experience that don't get talked about or neurodiversity, what are those things that aren't getting talked about? Hmm. That is a a large question. It's very broad in terms of there's just so many parts of like so much stuff because yeah. the at well, least I mean, the mainstream conversation with almost every with both things at this point is like, well, it's so hard to be one of those things. Isn't it so hard? <laughs> oh, my God. I, can't, I just like I can't even imagine what it would be like yeah. to live your life. It must be so difficult. Like mm-hmm. that's the conversation right now that's happening in the world. Right. Still. Um, One of the first people I talked to about being trans had this attitude of like, well, not an attitude, just a really explicitly stated thing of like, I could never understand Mm -hmm. what you're experiencing. Thank you for sharing with me. And I was like, I just want to actually talk to you about this. Yeah. People love to call trans people brave. Yeah. It's like the big thing. And, And even like at my show. Like when my my senior art show, right? Like this half was of the, the people that came up to me to talk about my trans project were like, "Oh my god, I had no idea 
this is incredible. Like, did you write all of, like, they thought I wrote all of them, which was just, there were, like, 50-something letters. And they're very disparate experiences. They they couldn't all all be from one person. No, though, I mean, some people, there was one in Spanish, and people were like, did you, did you, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, no, I don't. I appreciate that you think I might, but no, these are all community submitted. And yeah. It, but they just assumed that, like, because I'm the trans person in the room, I obviously did all the trans stuff. But aside from that, it was just all like, oh, my God, you're so brave. This is incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and for talking about this. And yeah, those aren't things people want to hear anymore no. or really ever. No. Like, that's not fun. I'm not brave. I'm just a person. And I'm just a person who decided to make art about this. I'm not brave if I decide to make art about other stuff. Actually, you know what, though? That has been my experience the entirety of of my photography career, though, is people just being like, wow, it is so touching that you shared this. Because I used to make a lot of art about mental illness. That's right. And you did some really good art about that. And uh, during one of my final critiques for a project I worked on, my whole classroom wouldn't critique my work because I think they were afraid of upsetting me. Yeah. Because they thought I was too fragile. Um, and I also think, like, it's hard to critique that kind of work when people don't have that experience because what are they going to say? That it doesn't make any sense? That your feelings aren't real or something? Like, that you're not accurately capturing your own feelings? <laughs> right? Like, it wouldn't... <laughs> It's it's a weird place to have to critique from. But then also, like, in my the notes for my professor, it was like, hey, by the way, here's the, here's the talk line. Oh, and right. And all yeah. of that, just like, here's how you can contact the suicide helpline and all of those things. Yeah. So that's always been an experience. Anytime you're talking about something taboo, people are going to call you brave. Right. But that doesn't answer the question you asked me originally, which is what are those things that people don't talk about yeah about transness and neurodiverseness and stuff and i think that one of the first things is like trans joy doesn't get talked about very often like how cool it is to be trans because it's so cool yeah you Um, mentioned that before like when you were looking for resources about transition mm -hmm. there was nothing about gender euphoria exactly for a long time and so stuff about that would be fun. Um, I don't see any art about neurodivergence for the most part, like not on the mainstream really, unless it's like comics. It's it's definitely in comics, but it's not in like fine art that I've seen personally, yeah. at least and photography even like that's hard to capture. And so stuff about that would be almost anything would be new and interesting in some way, but I don't know what I would do. Uh, well, I think it's illuminating yeah. the reaction people can have of like, here's 50 letters from a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And they can imagine that one person wrote them because they're all about being trans mm-hmm. and they're looking at one trans person, which is just baffling. But yeah. I think they see kind of just like, if you're trans, then you have the one trans experience. Mm-hmm. And in reality, not only do we have many, many experiences, but we're all talking to each other and we're in community. And that means a big part of the experience of being trans is interacting with trans people who are different from you. Mm -hmm. And that community aspect and relationship aspect 
would be a big thing that I think a lot of people just don't recognize. Yeah. Because they're not in it. Yeah. I mean, and they they can probably recognize it in other parts of their lives, but they just, they don't think of it that way because, I don't know, I think that is just the thing people do is like forget that they're actually really similar to everyone else. Like nothing's that different. Like the trans community is the trans community. It's pretty special, but it's not different from most communities. Like it's still a community, right? It's able to fit that definition because it, it meets some criteria, <laughs> Uh, that everyone else has that experience. Everyone's been part of a community, right? Like those things overlap. People understand the concept of waking up and having breakfast and talking to your friends and having hopes and dreams and building Mm -hmm. things together. And that can be a very trans experience. It can just be anyone's experience. Yeah, but people, I think, tend to default to like this person that's different from me, like, is this one of these things or all of these things? And like uh, the word monolith is coming to mind. It's just, that yeah. is what happens. Monolithic. Just, yeah. They just get there. They're like, well, obviously this is the whole thing. Um, yeah. And I think that's just mostly from not being exposed to those experiences outside of that one person yeah. or whatever it is. You just, you, of course you're, that's where your brain's going to go. If you only experience this person in this context every time like you know yeah like um those weren't the right words but i remember when you were planning the labor of being transgender Mm -hmm. project you were trying to avoid kind of the obvious okay i'm gonna make a photo project about trans people yeah which is let me take a bunch of portraits right of people who look trans yeah and i also didn't know enough trans people though some people have done that really well joshua gutierrez who we went to to his show his senior thesis or his his master's thesis was was beautiful and it was mostly portraits of gay people and trans people and that whole thing but i couldn't even find the time in my schedule to take pictures of that many people (laughs) so there were like a lot of things that were like yeah maybe i shouldn't just take portraits of trans people i don't think this would be effective and it doesn't, everyone's done. It's been done like a million times. Right. Well, okay, not a million times. No, but it's it's been but, done. I think it's. Yeah. And and so like, why do that? People know what trans people look like. That is a thing. It's, if you want to see pictures of trans people, you can just find that on Instagram. Well, and I bring it up because I think a lot of the time that thing people think about when they think about trans people is, oh, you look different. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't. That's already been covered. I didn't want to talk about that. I wanted to talk about, like, and it was also for the class I was taking about labor. Right. Um, That was just part of the prompt. Yeah. Uh, But, like, emotional labor. Like, we have a different emotional labor that we have to deal with every day. And we still do. And it's still actually a thing that we talk about all the time. Well, and I think... You know, one of the definitions of emotional labor people like to point to is more of like customer service, like Mm -hmm. having to smile on the job, that kind of thing. Like as part of your labor, you have to do emotional labor. Right. And that was actually something that you could write about. Yeah, that was that was my whole my whole thing. And I think even outside of being a customer service person, like a person who's worked in customer service or is working in customer service. Yeah, that is what trans people have to do anyway. Being trans in public is like doing a customer service job. Let's be real. (laughs) You have to, you're nice. You smile. You nod. 
You do all the things because if you don't, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Or you explain things you don't really want to explain. mm -hmm. But yeah, I was working at Sprouts at the time. And so I was transitioning very early on in my transition. So very obviously like going through some stuff um, while I was making that project and while I was working as a cashier at a grocery store. Which means talking to for, you know, talking to a bunch of people in a row for a very short amount of time for each person. Yep. And most people wouldn't, didn't say anything, but just having to go through the motions of like, how is this person going to gender me in this moment? Blah, 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 over and over and over and over again. While like, I'm still getting used to things and figuring things out. And so it was was an ordeal. Um, But yeah, that project was fun. That's the last, like, fine art photography thing I did. Yeah, and Um, that was at the very end of your BFA. Yeah, right before the pandemic. So I graduated December of 2019. Yeah. And then the world fell apart. And uh, now I do graphic design, which I do really enjoy. Um, I've always really enjoyed design. And now I have more skills, which is really fun. And I can always apply those to photography one day if I want to. Or I can keep doing graphic design because it's also a lot of fun. Now, in the yeah. pandemic, you didn't just go from being a student in college to working in graphic design. No, I did customer service. Right. More and customer service. Early in the pandemic and into the mid-pandemic, that meant a lot of different things. Yep. You also got really involved in, I guess one way to say it would be activism. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that really set you up to do graphic design work like i was saying it did working together with uh, mutual aid stuff and and white, white pause stuff and yeah but that's been a big part of your pandemic experience i think yeah and i'm not sure that everyone had that response right so you kind of got started around some of the racial justice uprisings mm-hmm in actually in 2020 right that was in 2020. yeah yeah i didn't get to go to the earlier events and protests because i was mostly working yeah and i, I couldn't because they all happened at the same time that you know like that's the night shift oh no right uh but i was able to go to a lot of things and then i kept getting a little more involved here and there yeah. and uh doing mutual aid things and then just trying to help out wherever i was able to which wasn't financially because right. i was a broke customer service agent slash cashier depending on the you know month uh whenever <laughs> whenever that happened yeah. or you know recovering from top surgery all of that and so i could offer my services in other ways to to you know like help further the movement and so that was mostly like i can take pictures and i can put things on a digital page and send them out into the world. I can right. I can volunteer my time um, and my my expertise. Is something you commented on is that I mean not not now, but something we've talked about is that those initial protests were huge. Oh, there was a lot gigantic. of momentum. They fell off, yeah, pretty quickly. But you actually got more and more involved, yeah. in things over time. Less so now, but that's, you know, mostly a financial 
things still. And yeah. Also, there's just not as much happening. And you're involved in, in different ways. work now. Yeah. But that was that was a really big thing for you. It was interesting because it let me use a lot of different skills that I like to use. Like, not just graphic design and art things, yeah. but also, like, I got to learn how to use Airtable and make forms yeah. and stuff. And that was also really exciting because well, it's a nice little of that, intersection like, of, of Industrial things. psychology yeah. stuff you didn't really get to pursue as much. I never got to pursue industrial psychology. I never took a single class. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. no, no. It was my oh, major. Okay. And then I... And then I never, I didn't start college. And before I started college, actually starting college, I changed my major. major. So I got to, I got to use some of those things that I never actually officially learned, but did have an interest in and did some side research on in my youth. Oh, fun fact for listeners, just because why not? Uh, In part one of this podcast i don't know if gene's gonna like put like a differentiating thing but in part one i was 24 and i'm now 25 i have grown a year older yeah since uh we recorded these interviews two a whole year apart so Mm -hmm. since then you at the time you had just gotten back on t now it's a whole year oh my god how's that been for okay (laughs) i'm gonna have to have to clean this up (laughs) i hope you all enjoyed that fun fact (laughs) <laughs> do you want to talk at all about the um some of the things that went down with the protests and your arrest and everything or do you not want to talk about that i mean it's i think it's already on lefty's instagram so it's fine <laughs> like it's it's really fine i got arrested it happened it sucked uh as a trans person getting arrested is a, is an awful experience it's different for everyone going into a protest there's always a risk of arrest right and so a while beforehand i had made a decision as if i were to be arrested as a trans person this is how i need i have to figure out how to handle it what how do i want them to treat me um this is before top surgery so do i want them to put me with the women do i want them to put me with the men those are the only two options but i have to pick one um my id set at the time and still says female but I was adamant when I was arrested that I wanted to be with the men. Yeah. Um, but then they actually didn't. They just didn't do that. No, they right. uh, isolated me um, after the precinct. So the way it works is you get arrested. They don't do all the things that you see in movies and TV shows. That's total bullshit. It's fake. It's not real. Um they never read me my my Miranda rights legally. They don't have to unless they plan to question me. They asked me if I was going to answer questions. I said no. My arresting officer walked away. That was the entire interaction. Um, they take forever to fingerprint you. They do it like 12 times because they're terrible at it. Mm-hmm. They're really so bad. Well, they're better in the jail. In the jail, they actually do. They're pretty quick. But the cops mm-hmm. in the precinct are just the worst they're so bad um so you're sitting in the precinct the precinct looks like the jails you see on tv there's like a bench and there's like a couple holding cells and then they take you to fourth ave though that might be different now because they built like a new jail i don't know um and they make you like well if if you're afab they make you take a pregnancy test um and so they do some basic like let's do some med 
stuff at the front to make sure, you know, we can just, so we can say we checked you out and that if something happens right, to you here, yeah, it's not our fault, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then they send you off to a room to pee in a cup, except they sent me off a room to pee in a cup and I never saw anyone else that I was arrested with uh, for the rest of the night for about eight hours at least. Um, the minute I went in that room, I was separated from everyone else. I got taken out very briefly to get my headshot or my headshot, my mugshot taken. Um, the second time they, they do everything more than once. It's ridiculous. And then I went back into that room and I was alone entirely for the rest of my stay in jail. Um, they said it was for my safety, obviously. Yeah. Cause it's right. Yeah. Cause it's so safe. Uh, first of all, to be left alone with like a plastic bag and like, if it's for my safety, like, for myself, that's not safe. And if there's... Do they need to protect me from the other people that are in there? Or isn't that their job? Like, isn't... Why would they be able to fight me? Anyway. Yeah, the only the only way to keep you safe is to punish you by isolating you. Yeah. It doesn't hold water. It, it's, yeah, it's a ridiculous thing. And so you're just sitting there alone for a long time. They give you a bag of bread. Sometimes the bread is moldy. Sometimes it's not. They give you a little thing, a jam that tastes like a grape popsicle. It's disgusting. And these little cookies that kind of taste like coconut oil. Really weird. Um, And uh, the benches in there have bars on them. Like it's just like a concrete bench, but it's got a little metal bar in the middle so that you can't sleep on it because they don't want you to sleep. It's freezing inside. It's just terrible you get a little bar of soap to wash your hands with but you can also draw uh with it like a soapstone so that's how i passed some of my time when i wasn't sleeping was i I was doing like lettering on the ground and then the the people they got mad at me and they made me clean it up and it was a whole thing and then you go to your ia which might be in the morning at like 6 a.m because that's when they do some of the ias uh or it might they only do them twice a day that's the important thing. So if you don't go to the morning one, you have to wait many, many hours um, till the next one. And that's the end. Like, it just, they pat you down a million times. It's super uncomfortable. They never yeah. respect you. Um, and they say it's for your safety. And it's not. It's a really broken system, but especially for people who um, are already considered other. I don't know if you remember, but at this point, a few years ago, we were having a conversation about the word non-binary mm-hmm. and comparing it to like genderqueer yes. and things like that and how you felt specifically in terms of like your gender. Uh, you've kind of shifted over time in terms of how you use those labels. I think maybe you have less strong feelings about it now, but I bring it up because I think there has been much more public awareness of the word non-binary. Oh, yeah. And I think it really shapes the way a lot of people think about gender. Sometimes they think about non-binary people and trans people and kind of divide those into separate categories. But it's really uneven. There's a lot of different understandings of that still, even though the word itself is much more common. Mm-hmm. There's celebrities who will decide to use they, them pronouns and be very public about that. Mm-hmm. Has that changed things for you in terms of how people interact with you and people's, I think more importantly, people's expectations 
of you? I mean, I think it's helpful that people are using non-binary as a term more often. The Okay, so, backstory. When I was in college, um, this would, would have been like 2015, um, still before I started, I, before the first time I tried to do hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, it was when I was still like figuring out like, oh, maybe I'm not a woman, blah, 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 right? The classic, like, you know, I wouldn't mind if someone used all these, pron- all of those things, yeah, uh, all of the pronouns and just trying, trying different stuff out and bought my first binder and was like, well, I don't think like, I think gender is like weird, but like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know? Yeah. It's, it's the <laughs> first stage of like, what if people did gender to me in a different way? Yeah. Like I'm not ready to do gender differently yet, but what about the idea of people just being different to me? Yes. And also just like thinking about gender critically, like being critical of just like gender as a whole and like what that means i had never thought about it at all before really um and so i started thinking about it just like how do i feel about gender Mm -hmm. and when gender when people gender me and blah 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 and i was like really femme at this time so it was a it was a big deal because oh boy that was not good for my brain is what i figured out long term but uh after that or around that same time i was using the word i was obviously more specific with the language i was using to refer to myself because i thought i needed to be and now i don't do that and that's kind of the point of what i'm talking about here is like at the time yeah. i was using um like a gender and stuff to describe myself i actually preferred gender queer over uh non-binary it took mm-hmm. me a while to figure out that they were the same thing i was like why are there two words for the same thing and it's not always the same thing not everyone thinks they're the same thing but they describe a really similar experience yeah and genderqueer is just like a it has the word queer in it and that's kind of the anyway well i saw a really good tweet the other day where someone was kind of speculating like the rise of non-binary as a preferred term over genderqueer is probably in some way connected to parents trying to accept their kids and not wanting to use a word that has the word queer in it Potentially, yeah. And also, non-binary, I think, describes a little more directly that is outside the binary, right? Like, it's really clear in that way of like, true, what it's yeah. describing in a way that genderqueer isn't. Um, and so it took me a little while to understand that those two things were the same thing. And I was using genderqueer as a term to describe myself more often then. But as non-binary as a term got more popular, I just started saying non-binary instead uh, if I don't even feel like describing the word non-binary, I'll just say queer. Uh, and if I if I say queer and people still don't get it, I'll just say gay. And it's fine. <laughs> people just realize I'm not like them. And that's as far as their brains actually end up going a lot of the time anyway. Mm-hmm. They don't yeah. actually, they're not thinking critically about my gender. They just decide, they see me and they're like, well, you're, you look like this, but you're telling me you're not that. So I'm just going to remember you as a thing that is that, but isn't, but I can't refer to as that. And (laughs) that's how, that's just, you know, it's fine. This is how gender works. Uh, Gender is memorizing a set of rules of how you're supposed to refer to people. That I think that is what it is for a lot of people. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah. So in terms of like the word non-binary becoming more popular, um, it's nice because it means there's a word I can say to someone and most 
well, not most people, but a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I've heard that word before. Right. And that's really helpful. Though, of course, sometimes there's still the situation if I feel comfortable bringing it up. Like if I'm, I don't know, somewhere and if I say I'm non-binary, there's like the couple people who, you know, will be like, oh, you're one of those Uh, (laughs) or something. It doesn't happen almost ever because I don't go outside. But you've got to elaborate on that a little bit. Is this people who are like, like if I'm at an event in public or when I was a cashier at a grocery store, any of these situations where I interact with the general public, right? Um, so these are people who are not cool with queer people. Yeah. And then they hear you're non-binary and they're like, oh, you're one of these purple haired freaks who's mm-hmm. ruining America mm-hmm. by ringing up my groceries. Yeah. Yeah. And then they tell me to take more vitamin C and uh, that I need to start eating brewer's yeast because it'll cure COVID. These things are not true. Don't do them. But it's all that kind of stuff where people just, they hear a word and it immediately just like incites anger in their brain it just starts it they're just like this is a word that i associate with all the bad things in the world and blah blah and we do it too but the other way around yeah neither thing is okay um neither thing should happen though mine is out of safety uh my reaction is this is a safety reaction it's a fear-based reaction their reaction is based in hate give me some of the examples where that happens to you like the kind of knee-jerk reaction that that you experience what are some of those things? Well, if someone says they like voted for Trump or whatever, obviously I feel less safe around that person because, well, they might not be cool with me. They they definitely are not a person that has used their political voice to do a thing that would benefit my life. And in fact, they actively do things that make my life harder and more dangerous. Um, or it leads me to believe they would do those things based on that one piece of information because right. stereotypes so you're taking the one piece of information that for real reasons is associated with a lot of really harmful things mm-hmm. and so then as soon as you hear that you're making a snap judgment yeah and the same thing is happening to them where for whatever reason a bunch of people have told them they need to associate being non-binary with with a bunch of things that they think are going wrong in society and yeah. hurting their lives on some level and so they have that knee-jerk reaction yeah. about you and, but their knee-jerk reactions tend to be more combative, and mine tend to be more of a flight response. And so that's also a really important difference yeah, That's there. a really important difference. Um, though that's not always true with everyone. I know people who will see people who are more conservative or do certain professions and uh, immediately get not combative, but definitely a little, a little feistier. And that's yeah. fine because, yeah, trauma and anger and you want to express those emotions and i get it Um, yeah i mean i get it too but i think it's actually i think this gets into a really interesting area of transness as also a material thing we're talking about these things that we're wrapping up and having a reaction to out of some level of trauma and for us it makes sense because these are very material actions that are connected to material harm in our lives Mm -hmm. i'm not trying to do some weird both sides like thing about being non-binary or being trans but we are doing a real thing Mm -hmm. we're doing something that is material and changes how we move through society and therefore is something that alters society yeah and i i worry that by saying well we have our trauma fight response to then say well this is fine 
it's fine to just respond to trauma however we want because we're correct yeah no no we're not it's not fine to just respond to trauma however we want necessarily yeah we should always be working to in whatever way it is like regardless of how you're like better coping mechanisms are always better right it's always good to have real coping mechanisms for things instead of to like resort to your first emotional response in a situation and that's something i think you've been really good at you do have real trauma and you have real trauma around these political things Uh, but i think that you handle it really well mostly i just don't have to be in those situations very often anymore but that's a good point yeah that it helps to not be like to not have to come to terms with it all the time but i know that's not the case for people uh for like other friends of mine and they have different coping mechanisms yeah or they're working on them at the very least it's a long process it doesn't just happen overnight but the important thing is no one's just like yeah this is the this is how it needs to be forever i don't think that's helpful anyway like it prevents change and progress yeah to just react emotionally every single time and Um, i think that that applies to the way that you've been talking about transition too instead of i have this trauma i need to justify these actions all or nothing thinking breaking it down and saying i can try this i can try that if i don't like this i can change it yeah also really applies to how you can process and respond to trauma in other areas nothing is black and white and it's cool to to live in the gray area. It also makes for better pictures. So you got to have all of the t- all of the tones. You can't just have black and white. This isn't an Andy Warhol painting. We got to do more. You can find more episodes of the Arizona Equals Conversation, or sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the podcast at equalityarizona.org/stories. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again next week.